Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coastline Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message will equip, encourage, and edify you in your journey of life. We'd love to connect with you. Please email us at info at coastlinecc.org. And for more information about our church and our services, visit coastlinecc.org. Now let's open our hearts and open God's Word. Can you believe that the COVID lockdown was three years ago? 2020. March of 2020. I was thinking about this as I was preparing this message. Because I was looking for a photo of something. And uh, as I'm looking for this photo, I'm like seeing like from 20, I was looking for something. And I kept seeing, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was three years ago. Coastline Kids. I had little Coastline Kids videos, which were so much fun. I loved that. And we, yeah, remember that? Mercy remembers that. Yes, yeah, before it was cool, right? Before it was, now they're, now they're like vintage, right? And, uh, and, and I was just thinking about all that stuff from three years ago. It was just insane, you know? I remember going into the store and there's like no meat anyway, anywhere. Like the meat section is completely empty. It's insane. I remember uh, uh, no toilet paper. Remember that? Like there was no, to- no toilet paper at all. Like you're like scrambling, like what can I use for toilet paper? You're out picking leaves off the trees just in case, you know, you're just like, you can laugh at that, all right? Come on, that's pretty good. And, and we were such a young church. We were still in the, in the in-law apartment. We had a few people and, you know, I remember waiting outside of stores, how frustrating that was. Like you're waiting, there's like you know, six feet ahead and you're just like, and it was kind of like, un- everybody was unsure. No one really knew what was going on. And, and, and then obviously through that whole year, it was just insane. And, and there's a lot of, obviously, negative things you can remember about that. No toilet paper, that's pretty big, no meat, you know, just we were a new church and all these different things. We had, were looking at buildings and then everything slowed down. It was just kind of a crazy time. But there's also, for me at least, a lot of positives. You know, praise the Lord, we didn't lose anybody in our family to COVID. I know many may have, and, and that's awful. We, pray, by the grace of God, didn't. Um, but our family as a whole got really close during that time. Um, I wasn't working at Latham yet, so I was home. My kids were all home from school. My wife did private care, so that kind of slowed down. So she was home much more. Um, obviously, so our whole family, my six, and then our whole extended family, we got really, we were always together hanging out every day together. And just, you know, what else was there to do? You weren't really going to go out anywhere. You know, there was nowhere to go out. So we just spent so much time together. We, we, we had all these new hobbies. We got a dog, you know, a, a COVID dog. And, and uh, Echo, Dan's got Echo still, who's just gigantic Great Dane. And, and uh, just all these things we started. Mercy started baking more and, and learning how to make breads. And, and I got into the live stream stuff. And we, fit, we made all, these, all the kids programs for, for online. It was a lot of awesome stuff. Even through that, our church kind of got our name out. We really weren't advertising much because we were in the house. But that gave us an opportunity to put out Coastline Kids. We did some autism talks where we talked about special needs in the church. And we did some live videos. We did uh, Coastline Kids and, and, and the devotional. And our, we live streamed uh, services. And that really allowed Coastline to get our name out early on. And people from the community were watching and they'd reach out to us. It was awesome. Those, those are some uh, really uh, good times for our church. But one of the hobbies that Marissa picked up because we had so much time, and it was obviously the spring, was gardening. We had a big backyard, and, and we just kind of started making spots. We found a spot in the side of our deck, and we cleared it all out and broke up the dirt, and got mulch, and got some fencing, and got this. And she started getting rose bushes and, and flowers, and then we got around the front of the deck, and then we, we just started gardening everywhere. And it really turned into something awesome. Um, she would order roses from this site, and they'd send the roots, and then we'd put the roots in the ground, and we'd, she'd take such good care of it, and then, and then it would grow. And then obviously each season they got bigger and better. It was, it was really, really something. 
And in that time and the following years, we learned a lot about gardening. And we're going to get back to that in a minute, but, but John 15, remember, Jesus is still with his disciples. They just left the Last Supper in John 14. He said to them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Remember last week they asked all those questions. Thomas was like, well, which way do we go? And then uh, Judas was like, well, aren't you going to tell the whole world? And even Philip was like, show us the Father. And Jesus is just comforting them. Last week was a message of comfort to his followers, wondering, where's Jesus going? I thought he was going to be here. I thought he was going to be the Messiah and save us all. And they're just wondering. And Jesus tells them and says, it's going to be all right. I'm the way, the truth, and life. Don't worry. And then he says at the end of chapter 14, he says, arise, let us go. He's like, okay, we're, we're leaving. They're headed to the garden of Gethsemane. So this chapter 15 is on their way. They're walking together, walking towards the garden, where next week and the week following, we're going to see Judas coming and betraying him and selling him out, and Jesus can be arrested and put on a cross and die for the sins of the world. But this chapter, chapter 15, is Jesus with his disciples on their way to the garden, still just teaching them in his last few moments with them teaching them, helping them, comforting them. We're going to break it down quickly. We're not going to read all the scriptures like we have in the past. We're going to move right through. But there's 27 verses, and it's broken up into three different sections. So we're going to go through that, give you some context, and jump into some application this morning. The first eight verses, Jesus is telling them, reminding them of who he is. Those first eight verses, who Jesus is, he says in, in um, and in verse uh, 1, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Uh, uh, verse 5, he says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. He's telling them that he's the vine. So what does he mean by the vine? What's the vine? Well, in gardening, um, you know, when you have your, your main stem and the branches come off of it, that's where the source of life comes from. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm, I'm the source. You're the branches and I'm the vine. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You get your power, you get your, your strength, you get your life from me. And he says that in the end of verse 5, without me you can do nothing. And that's ultimately true. We, we wouldn't be able to walk or talk or breathe without the power of God and without the grace of God in our lives. He's the vine. We're the branches. We're only alive through the vine. Fruit, he talks about in these first eight verses about how we're supposed to bear fruit and how we're only going to bear fruit and do great things for God and accomplish things for God through him, through his strength. We can't do it in our own power. He also says the father, God the father, is the gardener. The husbandman is the, the old word, but the gardener. He's the one that tends the branches. He's the gardener. Fruit, doing things for God, getting closer to God, uh, uh, being used of God, that comes from him. And he also says in these eight verses that branches that don't produce fruit, branches that don't uh, uh, utilize that power from the vine, that they're cut off, that they're useless, that they're of no use. And the Father will, will cut them off, and will cut them off. That's the first eight verses. The, first, the next uh, few verses, verse 9 through 17, Jesus said yes in the first eight verses who he is. And the next uh, uh, few verses, it's what Jesus wants. And his desire, just like it was in the previous chapters we've talked about, he just wants his disciples, his followers, to get along, to love each other, to serve each other. Remember he washed their feet and he said, now you go do the same. Verse 9 of John 15, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, these things I command you, that ye love one another. He tells them, if you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. You're going to do what I say. 
And it's, a tr it's true for us as well. If we say we love God, we're going to do what he tells us to do. We're going to do what his word tells us to do. And he tells his disciples that. By obeying him, you show love. And then he goes on to say that when you do love him, when you do obey his commands and show your love for him, he says, I want you to do these things. I want you to love me and obey me, and I want you to love each other. Why? He said, because then you're, you're going to have joy. You're going to have real joy. And he goes on to say that your joy might be full, complete, not lacking. He said, I want you to have fullness of joy in your hearts and in your lives, and you're only going to get there by obeying me, by loving me, by loving each other. By sacrificing, verse 13, a very familiar verse, especially we use it around Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Verse 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Jesus said that. And nobody knows that truth better than Jesus, who did lay down his life for the entire world. And not just for his friends, but for those who hated him, for those who didn't believe him. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me, and you'll love each other, and you'll have joy. This is, he's telling them what he wants. Those next few verses, verse 9 through 17, are what Jesus wants. And the last few verses, verses 18 to 27, is how Jesus is viewed. He kind of changes gears. He says in verse 17, uh, uh, John 15, 17, these things that commands you, that you love one another. And he switches from love over to hate. He says, hey, you may love me, but he says there in verse 18, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 23, he that hateth me hateth my father also. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works which no, no other man did, they had not sinned. But now have they both seen and heard both me and my father. What Jesus is telling his disciples is like, he's like, listen, you may love me, you may follow me, but there's a lot of people that can't stand me. And we saw that. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're literally, in, during this time frame, plotting to kill Jesus. Judas and the Pharisees and the guards are on their way to the garden as well to arrest Jesus and put him on a cross and beat him and, 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 and whip him and, and ultimately kill him. Jesus knows about hatred. Jesus knows what it feels like to, to be hated. And he tells his disciples, listen, if they hate me, they're, they're probably going to hate you. Because they hated me. And he goes on and says, they saw the miracles, just like you did. They heard my words, and yet they still. He goes, if they never, if he said, if they didn't see my miracles, and they didn't hear my words, then really they, they, they have a kind of a, a justification. He said, but they saw it. They heard my words, they saw my works, and they still didn't believe me, and they still hate me. He's like, so there's no hope for them. And if they hate me, they're going to hate you as well. And he finishes the chapter by saying, but I'm going to send you an advocate, a comforter. We said that last week, remember? He said the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He's like, I'm leaving, but when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come. The Holy Spirit of God's going to come and, and give you power and give you strength. I'm not going to be here physically, but my spirit's going to be here. And he just leaves them with those words of comfort. You see those, the first, well, who Jesus is. He's the vine. We're the branches. We see what he wants. He wants them to love each other and to obey him. And then we see how, he's, how Jesus is viewed in these last few verses. The world hates him. The world hates him. They're going to kill him soon. So accomplishing great things for God, loving people like Jesus loves them, and, and even feeling the hate of those who hate Christ and continuing on anyway, those three things, we can't do that on our own. You cannot accomplish great things for God by yourself. 
You cannot love people the way Jesus loves people, like he commands us to do. You cannot love people the way he tells you to love people by yourself. You cannot suffer persecution, and I'm not saying that we suffer persecution here in, in America. People may make fun of us or, or hate church or not like church, but we're not, it's not like in other countries where people are killed for their faith. But we may suffer some type of ridicule for being a Christian, for practicing faith, maybe from parents or family or loved ones or friends or co-workers. You invite them to church and they give you a hard time or you know people think differently of you because you're a follower of Christ. We can't feel that pressure and feel that maybe sometimes even hatred for those who just hate God and continue on for him by ourselves. We'll fall. We're weak. And Jesus gives the way out in John 15. We didn't read the scriptures ultimately. But right in that first section of verses, Jesus gives the answers. How can you accomplish great things for God? Can I ask a question? I want you to listen to this. How many of you here today want to accomplish great things for God? Could you raise your hand up? I think that would be all of us. It would be kind of crazy if you're like, I don't want to do anything for God. I'm at church, but I don't want to do anything for God. We all want to accomplish great things for God. Uh, uh, I think all of us could say, I want to love people like Jesus loves me. He told me to do that. I want to obey his commands. I want to have that full joy that he talks about. So how can I love people like he loves them? People can be kind of hard to love sometimes. Right? Listen, you, you, all of them? Even that guy? Even that girl? Like, Yeah. But how can I do that, God? How can I face persecution and face ridicule and, and, and face people thinking less of me because I'm a Christian and, and, and go on and, and have boldness and courage and faith? Verse 4 and 5 of John 15. Jesus says these words. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. He says, listen, if you rip a branch off the vine and throw it to the side, is that branch going to bear any fruit? No. It's lost its source of power. It, it's, it's by itself now. And so often we're like that little branch off to the side, torn off, cut off from the power of God, trying to accomplish great things in our life for the Lord, for our families, for our church, and, and we're not bearing any fruit and we wonder why. He said, you've got to abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me remaineth in me, and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Church, look up here. You need him. You need Jesus. For our eternity, yes. For salvation in heaven, yes. For right now in life, yes. You need Jesus to bear fruit, to love others, and to continue on in faith in a world that's against God. Abide in Jesus. What does it mean to abide? What do you mean abide, to remain? If you look up the definition of that word abide in the context of Scripture, the original word, the original New Testament was written in the, the language of Greek. You look up that word abide, it literally means to make him your home. To make him your home, to abide him, to make Jesus your home. What does that mean? Well, let's think about how we view home. Home is where your heart is. It's where you want to be especially during the holidays. Home is the place to which you return, the place that you're eager 
to get back to. You ever finish a vacation and you're like, that was really fun, but I cannot wait to get back to my own bed. I've been there. Making Jesus your home. That's how you feel at home. You're eager to get back to it. Home is where you feel comfortable, where you can really be yourself at your home. Remember, we're talking about making Jesus our home, abiding in Him, making Him our home. Are you seeing some correlation here? Home is a place of safety, security. Home is where you bring your friends when you want to hang out, have fellowship with them. Home is where you find uh, your strength for life. It's where you eat, where you sleep. Home is, is your, your base of operations, kind of uh, where the center of what you do. Home is where the people and the things that we love the most are found. And church, isn't that what Jesus Christ should be for the Christian? Shouldn't he be our place of refuge and strength? Shouldn't he be the source of our life? Shouldn't he be the reason that uh, uh, we felt for our fellowship with others? Shouldn't he be where our heart is? That's abiding in Jesus. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. And when you abide in me, and when, you, uh, 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 when he abides in us, we will bear fruit. We'll accomplish things for God. Listen, can I just remind you, church, as I'm limping over to you? I don't even care. We're supposed to be bearing fruit. I'm supposed to be bearing, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be seeing God work in my life. And so are you. And just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean I'm supposed to have more fruit. We're all in this together. We're supposed to, be, listen, I'm supposed to be seeing answered prayer. You are supposed to be seeing answered prayer in your life. Hey, you are supposed to be seeing evidence of God's hand on your life. Not just once in a great while. You're supposed to be bearing fruit. He said, if you abide in me, if you make me your home, you're going to bear fruit. He said, and if you're not bearing fruit, the Father cuts you off. That doesn't mean you lose your salvation. That doesn't mean you're not saved. But it does mean you lose some of that. You lose that power. You're not connected to the vine. <laughs> Something's happening. You're not connected to the vine. Listen, church, we are supposed to see God answer prayers. We are supposed to be seeing people in our lives come to Jesus Christ. I'm going to say this. Listen, the Lord knows that this is so important to me and that my heart is in this, and I'm telling you, that stupid little sound from my laptop, that stuff always throws me off. He's trying to distract me, and he's trying to distract you. We're supposed to be bearing fruit, all of us. When's the last time you saw someone in your life give their heart to Christ because of your witness to them? I'm talking, you said, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. He's changed my life, and I want him to change your life too. Let me tell you my story. Let me show you my story. Hey, let me show you what the Bible says. You can have peace. You can have joy in your life. And you tell your friend or your family or your mother or your father or your uncle or whoever, somebody in your life, and you give them the gospel, and they say, you know what? I need some of that. I'm lost. I want Jesus in my life. And you can see that fruit. When's the last time you saw someone in your life that you invested in, that you loved like Jesus loved, give their heart to Jesus Christ? When's the last time you saw an answer to prayer? I'm talking a, uh, an answer to prayer where God answered your specific prayer. You said, God, I need this. You know I need this. I'm trying to trust you, and you've got to do it. And he did it. That's fruit. When's the last time you really saw God move in your life? If you cannot remember the last time you saw God or felt God moving in your heart, moving in your life, I'm telling you, you're, you're, something's wrong. We're, we're children of the living God. Do you believe that? Do you remember that? 
We are followers of the Most High, the one who created the world, who created you, who breathes life into your lungs. He's the one we worship. He's the one we sing about. He's the reason we show up on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. He's the reason. When's the last time you saw that God move in your life? We are supposed to be bearing fruit. You're a Christian. And we walk around with no peace in our hearts. Listen, that's fruit, having a heart of peace. Uh, not having a heart of anxiety or stress or worry. Listen, a peaceful heart in the midst of trials and heartache is fruit. That you're abiding to the vine, to Jesus. Don't you want, listen church, don't you want to see God answer your prayers? Don't you, don't you want to see God use you to reach somebody else? Don't you want to have a heart of peace, not always doubting? He said, abide in me. Jesus said some hard things to his followers in this chapter. He said in verse 2, he said, um, every, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Which, which we just said, he cuts it off. That's, that's, that's hard to see. That's hard to see. When Marissa had her garden, um, and, and a plant just wasn't, wasn't doing anything, it was just not growing, we tried everything, and it was just taking up space, she would just finally have to forget that one, put someone else in, and she would take it out. Maybe it got eaten by bugs. Maybe uh, it could be a billion different things. Sometimes it just wouldn't really grow. So she'd cut it down, take it out by the roots, and put something else there because it wasn't producing. There's no power. There were sometimes on, like, one of the full rose bushes there, you'd have some beautiful rosebuds here and there and there, but then, like, one of the branches coming off would just, like, dead or just... With, and she said, okay, well, I'm going to cut that one off because it's not producing anymore. Are you wondering why you're not seeing God move? Are you wondering why you're not seeing God move in your life? Maybe you're like, man, I really guess I haven't really seen him, like... Like, yeah, I love God, and I love worship music, and I, and I can, you know, and this and that, and I, I read my Bible, but I haven't, really, I haven't really seen a move of God in my life. It's been kind of like, just kind of stale, like, yeah, I love church, and I love my, my friends at church, and I love the music, and this and that, but, but like, to see God work a miracle in my life and answer a prayer, I haven't really seen that. Maybe it's because we're not abiding. Maybe because we're really not making Jesus our home. There's an old song we used to sing um, at the churches I grew up in, and it's called, This World is Not My Home. I'm Just Passing Through. It's an old, kind of like an old country song. I love, I actually love it. It's fun. But maybe, maybe you're making this world your home. Maybe you are the one that, that's, that's focused so much on the here and now and what's happening in life that you're not making him your home. You're making everything else around you your home. What else did Jesus say to them? Well, we're actually, church, we're almost done. He also says in that verse, in every branch, this one's a tough one, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Purging means pruning. 
I bought most of these at the Dennis Agway. They're like a fancier pruning shears. I think it's Felco. It's like a nice brand. Her Felcos. And I, I, can, I can't tell you how many times I remember her going out to the rose bushes and um, beautiful rose. She had probably six or seven or eight rose bushes all, you know, in her one garden and then over here too. And they were everywhere. And they really got beautiful and so many different. I mean, she would, it was just awesome. And oftentimes Marissa would go out to these rose bushes in full bloom. And I'd watch her as she would just start like cutting branches and like, like beautiful flowers too. Like, I'm like, those are like, isn't that what it's there for? Like, it's supposed to, it looks great. Like, you're cutting off all these flowers. You know what I mean? Like, what you, and I'd be like, why, why are you doing that? Like, why are you, like, it, it'd be different if it was a dead one. But I'm talking about like a, a live one. Like, that's a great rose right there. And you're, you're, you're you know, cutting it. And I, I didn't know why, and, and really the answer that she gave me, and that's the guard, is it's twofold. One, she can cut off several of those roses, bring them inside, find a small glass, fill it with water and some rose food, and put them in there, and it's just beautiful vase of flowers that she grew. Very cool. But beyond that, when she would cut off some of those roses, those branches, those flowers, those rosebuds, and take them off, in turn, the other flowers around that are still on the vine, and then the rose bush as a whole gets stronger because it's not pouring as much strength into all those roses. There's less to, and so in, in turn, even though it's, it's like, man, you're cutting things off, and this, man, and in turn what's happening is the whole bush is getting stronger and it ends up bringing forth more roses. It brings forth more fruit. So why is it in our lives, you may say, well, I don't know why God is doing what he's doing in my life right now. I don't know why it feels like I'm constantly being purged and constantly being pruned. And it's just one thing after another. It's one dark night after another. It's one storm after another. And I don't feel any relief and I'm not feeling much peace. And every time I try to give him my issue and give him my problem, it seems like there's another one on top of that. And it's over and over and over. Why is it that I am being pruned? Why why is it that I can't seem to, to, to go a day without having some kind of heartache, some kind of tears? Well, it's twofold because, you know, when God begins pruning your life and taking things out and working in you, just like those roses at my house, she, yes, she had to cut them off, but then they'd be sitting there in that vase, and you'd walk by, and you could smell them, and you could see them, and it was a beautiful uh, picture of, of the hard work that Marissa did. And in, and in your life, when God begins to prune and cut these things off your life and, and take those things off, it becomes a testimony to the grace of God in your life. Yes, it hurts, but you know what? When you stand strong and stand in faith during the purging, during the pruning, when it seems like you keep losing things and losing opportunities, 
opportunities and losing this and that. And still you trust God and still you rely on God. It becomes this beautiful vase of flowers in your life and your life becomes a testimony to a lost world that looks at you and says, wow, they've been through so much. They've lost so much and still they have faith and still they trust and still they have joy and still they're smiling. Wow. And then beyond the lost world, those who are Christians that are struggling, that are weak, you become a testimony to those fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, who need some hope, who need some strength. And your testimony of faith during the purging, during the pruning, during the pain, during the heartache becomes a testimony to them. And beyond that, not just a beautiful testimony of God's grace, but during that purging, just like the scriptures say, he purges it, he prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. That it may bring forth more fruit. Your pruning, your trials, your heartaches, what God is doing in your life that you don't like, like the song, I don't know what you're doing. I've said that to the Lord a lot this last six months. God, what are you doing? Those trials, that purging, is leading to more growth. A greater dependence on the vine. There is fruit in what you thought was a failure. You hear that, church? There is fruit in what you thought was a failure. You say, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this. I lost this. This opportunity was shattered. Uh, uh, I'm in. I just can't seem to. And you're like, I'm, I'm, such, a, I'm such a failure. I'm such a, a loser. I can't, I can't make it. And all these different things you feel. And you're like, oh, God, why are you doing this to me? And all the while, God is growing you. God is building you. There is fruit in what you thought was a failure. There is purpose in your pain that you feel. There's purpose behind it. It's leading to more growth. There is purpose in your problem. There is victory in what you see as defeat because God is drawing you to himself during that pruning. He is drawing you to his side in that pain. There's purpose in it. You must praise him in the purging. You must praise him in the pruning. That's why, listen, that's why I did my best and I know I failed so often, but during this trial of our lives when I don't know what to do, I try like, Lord, I want to praise you anyway. I want to say hallelujah anyway, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, because you must praise him in the pruning. I wish I could say that this whole housing situation, you know, didn't really throw me for a loop, but it did. Um, it just, it did. Every time I felt like we were getting close to something, come crashing down. And after that happening so many times, you're kind of like, oof. I'm tired of this, Lord. I'm tired of this, Lord. I was just here this past week before the Lord answered our prayer. And I was here this past week, and I came, and I prayed, and I prayed hard, and I prayed raw, and I cried because I was tired. I was tired of waiting. I was tired of wondering I felt like I was not just wondering, but wandering. Like, just, you don't know what's coming. You don't know what to expect. And I was just so tired of having no answers, of 
following him, of resting in him, of, of, of trying to trust him, and every time it felt, it honestly felt like he was letting me down. Like, Lord, what do you, you know, that you, you, you brought that house in Brewster to us, and then you take it away? Like, what do you do? Why are you playing with my emotions like this? I remember while I walked around this church, and I walked around, and I begged God and talked to God until he brought peace to my heart. And I shouted, and I prayed. There's nobody here. Can't really do it at the house because everybody's there. It's kind of, but I, I walked around, and I just said, God, I'm, I need answers, like right now. It's been a year of this, Lord, of unknown, of fear. I got kids. I got a wife. You, I said, Lord, you called me here. If you want me to leave, then, then, then that's fine. If, if, if my work is done here, if you're ready for me to do something else, I don't want to, but I guess I will if you're not going to give us a, we, we have to live here. I said, God, if you're done with me, give me grace to accept that. That's where I was, church, because I'm thinking, we've tried everything and nothing is working. Go ahead and look on Zillow for 10 seconds. You'll see there's not a lot out there. To buy, to rent, nothing. I said, I said, God, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. And you know what God was doing to me during these last, this last year, and I didn't like it? He was pruning me. He was removing things from me. He was removing doubt. He was removing faithlessness. He was removing pride. He was removing uh, fear. He was causing me to depend on him fully. And it all came to a head this past week when I finally got that phone call. And God said, I told you to wait. <laughs> I told you. I got you. Because, church, listen to this. It's in the pruning that we come to know him more. Can anybody attest to that this morning? That it's in the pruning, it's in the pain that you come to know God more. Did anyone believe that this morning? Amen, right? It's, it's when we're being pruned, in the end we realize, wow, we depend on him in a greater way. Why did he say, why did he say this to his followers? Why is he saying this to us? He's saying it so that our joy might be full. He's telling us he wants you to have joy. He wants you to have hope. And all of this, church, all of what he said, this whole message, it all points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in John 15, in verse 12, he said, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Jesus said, You are without hope. Without me you can do nothing. You can't get to heaven on your own. Listen, if when you die, if you don't have me, you're going to spend eternity in a real place called hell. He's like, you need me to get to heaven. We're sinners. We sin. The scriptures say we've all done wrong. And that sin separates us from God. You need Jesus. I, as a 10-year-old boy, needed Jesus to save my soul. And I prayed and said, God, forgive me of my sins. Take me to heaven when I die. Because I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't want to spend forever in a place of pain away from God. I wanted to spend eternity with him. And he made a way. And even in this one scripture, as he's talking to people, it's a picture of what he's getting ready to do, to die for the sins of the world. For without me, he can do nothing. Remember that, church. We try to walk through life on our own. A little bit of church here, a little bit of good worship music here, a little bit of scripture here, and the rest of it just like, okay, I got it. Stop, 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 stop. We need him for every moment. Every day, daily grace, moment by moment, grace. 
So our garden there on Trader's Lane before we moved, winter comes, and when winter comes, we cut everything down, you know, we cut it down to the, to the bottom there, and everything kind of goes dormant, you know, dormancy, that, that's winter where nothing's growing, and it's just, it's, that's not really a winter activity, unless you have a greenhouse or whatever, we don't. And it kind of looks pretty ugly out there, to be honest, during that winter, you know, even, especially when there's no snow, it's just like dirty and just little ragged roots, and it's just kind of ugh. But then, springtime comes, and uh, the weather starts to warm up, and, and uh, you know, we, we start to, the sun comes out more, and the, the temperatures rise a little bit, and we, we begin to water, and we begin to, some of we plant new plants, we put fertilizer down, we, we take something like this, and, and we, we break up the hard dirt, and, you know, because it kind of got hard, and we kind of break it up, and grind it up, break up that fallow ground, and we'll take something like this, and maybe dig out some, some weeds that maybe got there, and, and we just, whatever it takes, we're just going to take time and work on it, and break up that soil, and plant, and Marissa, what she would do is she would, she would help those plants grow. That was early on too. But she would just, you know, we'd be out there watering and, and uh, making, picking all the weeds out, remulching sometimes, and, and just sometimes moving, oh, that's too close, and just taking care of that garden. And little by little, okay, little by little, those rose bushes that would be cut down to like the bottom, this ugly little brown, in time, in time, little by little, these little green sprouts come out. You see that? See that little thing coming out the edge there? You see how ugly it looks beside it? Those thorns and it's, but then there's that one bud coming out. And by the end of the season, it's this big, beautiful rose bush. By the way, it's not like the next morning there was like a full rose bush. It took time. It took time. It took pruning, it took water, fertilizer, all that time, and just proper care. It wasn't like it was, we had a huge bouquet of roses the next day. And oftentimes, um, we expect that in life. We hear a message on bearing fruit, we're like, well, I'm going to do great things for God, and I'm starting today, and we just think we're going to go home and just charge hell with a squirt gun, I, I got it, I'm going to, and we, we're just all, and, and that's not how it is, church. It is time. It does take time for you to see fruit. It does take abiding in Him. You're not going to have this big bouquet of flowers tomorrow. No, no, it's, it's, it's little victories that we'll see. Little, little pictures of the grace of God. That little, you know what I see when I see that little bit? I see, I, see, I see Jesus in that too. I see life coming from what looks dead. I, I see life coming from what has been cut down. And some of you have been cut down. And some of you have been, have really, on the outside, you're, but, but there's new life brewing up in you, springing up in you. Sometimes a new place was needed. I had, Marissa had a dead rose bush. Just, it was, and she pulled it right out and said, well, I'm going to replant this thing. And I'm gonna, we're going to, it's going to come back. And, and do you remember, I, I took it off the side of the yard and I planted it in this random spot next to our fence and just kind of kept watering it. And it, it honestly stayed brown and dead for almost a full season. Didn't do anything. I'm like, well, that was a waste of time. Like, it's just, it's just dead. But the next season, I kept doing it, and guess what? One time, Seth took a whole bottle of rose food, this chemical rose food, dumped it right in our pool. I came up, the water is like hazard green. I'm like, what is this slime, you know, in our pool? And then I found the empty bottle. I'm like, no! So I had to literally drain the entire pool, and guess what was right next to my pool? That rose bush. 
<laughs> that I had planned. I was dead. That same season, I remember coming out, walking by, I'm just like cleaning up the yard. I looked down at this dead rose bush that's been dead for a season, forever, and hopeless. And guess what I saw? I saw some life. And that became a rose bush that actually produced flowers. And we would laugh and we would joke about it, like, oh my goodness. That but listen, isn't that us sometimes, church? We, we go so long without seeing victories. And sometimes it just takes that overflowing grace of God when we finally see how good he is, how faithful he is, and there is life. Sometimes it was dogs ruining the garden. Sometimes it was squirrels or mice or birds. We had to put some fences up. You saw another picture, there's some fences up. Sometimes, church, the reason you're not abiding in God, the reason you're not seeing fruit, because you don't have any fences up in your life. You just let whatever happen. You kind of do whatever you want, you just float through life. No guardrails for you. Whatever happens, happens. Listen, you got to put some fences up in your life, some, 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 some guardrails. None of that growth happens on its own. It needed a gardener. It needed a gardener. Because there was a time, finally, after time when we'd finally see God uh, give us some growth in the yard. And that was just one of many rose bushes that we'd have. It was just gorgeous, and you could look at it, and you could smell it for hours and just say, wow. I want to have a life that reflects Jesus Christ. I want to have a life that when people look at me, they say, wow. They don't just say, wow, look at that rose bush. It did it all on its own. Isn't that amazing? It just got up and dug a hole and planted itself and grew. No, 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 no. It needed a gardener. I want people to look at me and say, wow, he really, he really believes what he says about God. Wow, he really trusts God. Hi, wow, even when he's going through heartache and trial, he still trusts his God. He still trusts Jesus. He still uh, sings praise and worship. Man, that's amazing. What a testimony. I want some of that in my life. That's what I want to have. I want to abide in him. And he said, when you abide in me, you'll produce fruit. And when you produce fruit, he says in the scriptures, my father's glorified. My father is glorified. So church, last question. How How's your harvest looking? Seriously. How's your harvest looking? Your spiritual harvest? Answered prayer. Your gospel witness. Seeing people in the church house with you, sitting next to you. It takes courage, it takes boldness, it takes prayer. But how's your harvest? Don't you want to see some fruit? Thank you again for listening to the Coastline Baptist Church Podcast. We hope the message was an encouragement to your heart please connect with us through our website, coastlinecc.org, or on Facebook or Instagram. Send us a message, send us an email, and we'd love to connect with you. We'd also love if you could visit us for a Sunday morning service. You can find our address on our website, and our services start at 10 a.m. Our mission at Coastline is simply this, to know Jesus deeply and to show Jesus daily. I hope that we've helped you do that in your life today. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.